0: Uh, my dad and uh, this week, as TC and I went down, um, funny story, uh, just to get you settled in. Malen, um, my daughter, many of you know her. She, she worship leader in Kalamazoo and uh, on their their team up their leadership team up there. But uh, she's kind of my booking agent, and uh, I said, look, we need plane tickets, a rental car, and uh, hotel room, motel hotel room, um, and um, so she took care of all that for us, found us a great deal, and we were able to fly down and stay. We get to the uh, hotel to check in. We're a little early, and uh, I had called, and the lady said, uh, sure, you can you can check in early if there's a room available that's clean by the time you get here. So great, we got there a little after noon, not supposed to check in until 3, but we decided to go and see if we could check in, and, and we got there, and... Uh, uh, I walked in and the lady said, can I help you? And I said, yeah. I called about early check-in and uh, she said, okay, but can you wait? Can you wait just a minute because I, I don't have squat here. And so I thought, okay, what, what does that mean? And I just assumed she meant... Um, um, Actually, what she said was, I got squat here, and I, I assumed that that meant she didn't have any help to help her. You know, kind of like that, right? She's a little frustrated. You could see she was a little panicked in her face. And um, uh, so we're standing there for a few minutes, and I said, just take your time. We're not in any hurry. We don't really have anything major going on today, uh, so we'll wait. And, and she said, okay. And then uh, a maintenance guy came down the stairs, uh, obviously from upstairs, and she looked over at him, and she said, did you see those AK-47s? And I looked at TC, and he looked at me, and we were just like, okay, well, I don't, I'm not real sure what that's about, and, and, and he said, yeah, they, they're, they're still up there, and, and I was like, did, did I hear her right? And she said, Lord, they had all them AK-47s and, and, and they, they're all dressed in their like their outfits and their body armor. And 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 she said, I, I don't I wish they let me shoot one of them AK-47s. And I'm like, where has my daughter booked me? <laughs> Into this mo this hotel. And um so we we get her all settled in and she's a little frazzled and I do know she wants to shoot an AK-47. I know this at this point. And uh, we get our keys to our room, and she said, I'll have to put you upstairs uh, because that's the only room that's clean. I was like, it's fine, you know. So we get up there. We go up the steps, and we turn the corner. And and y'all, I kid you not, the SWAT team is standing three doors down from where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) So I had misunderstood when she said, I got SWAT here to I got SWAT here. And... (laughs) All these guys are dressed in body armor with their, you know, not AK-47s because that's not what SWAT uses, but with their, you know, uh, nice, beautiful automatic rifles hanging there and, you know, helmets. And uh, we turn the corner and look at them, and and they all look at us. And at this point, I'm like, TC, you need to walk in front. And I, we just wave at them, and the one guy was like, we're going in this room, and he's like, fine. And so we went in that room, and, and then, you know, we didn't want to go outside much because, you know, the SWAT team was still there and with their guns. And I don't know what's going on. And so I said, well, you know, let's take a little nap. We'll let it all calm down. So we lay there, and I, then I heard one of the maids walk by saying, who's going to clean up all that blood? And I was like, where, where have they put me? He had some family coming over from the Panhandle of Florida. They drove four hours. He's going to go to dinner with them. and, and uh, So I was going to be all alone for dinner. And uh, So they, they left uh, the hotel, and I, I thought, well, I'll go find me something to eat. I'm in Gainesville. Got to be a nice little place to eat. And uh, I picked out a place, and I was walking through the lobby. There was a different young lady there at the counter, so I thought I would ask, like, what was going on? Because, you know... Everything can and will be used in a sermon. (laughs) You have to come up with sermon illustrations each week. See, if you don't look for sermon illustrations, even if it is a SWAT team. And so I asked the young lady, I said, so what was going on with the police and the SWAT guys early? And she said, Lord, have mercy. Why I got to have a job where SWAT show up? She said, I am so tired of working at a place where the police are always here. And I thought... Is it too late for me to find a different hotel? <laughs> TC was gonna come back to an empty room all by himself, cause I'm too little to go to jail. Anyway, I guess they got the blood cleaned up. We didn't see SWAT the rest of the weekend. So, uh, the next time someone says I don't I, or I have squat here, you'll or just remember AK-47s. I guess. But anyway. Thanks for praying for my dad. It's great to see him. Uh, I think he's incredibly—he's an incredibly courageous man. He always has been, bold as a lion. And and uh, in his older years, he has really uh, been a joy to to talk to and hang around. And uh, his attitude is pretty good for a guy who just got diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, So uh, just let's just keep praying. Right? We just keep punching the devil in the face. Um, And it's a a good thing. We'll see what God does in the the future. But uh, I'm so thankful for his salvation a couple years ago. And and the peace of God that rests on his life. now, Even through that. So thanks for allowing me to take the week, the few days, and go down to see him and be there. I think no matter what happens, he'll always remember uh, that uh, I got to go down there and see him. And that means the most to me. So, amen? All right, turn on me in your Bibles to Exodus, chapter 3 and 4. Uh, now, I've told you for a little while that, uh, you know, uh, I don't preach on giving and tithing a lot. Uh, in particular, one of the reasons that I think if, if I've got to talk you into giving something, or someone else can talk you out of giving. Uh, that being said, uh, the idea of giving is, is good doctrine, and the Bible encourages us as elders to teach doctrine. Somebody say Amen. And so we're going to teach and and do that all along. Uh, I I want to throw in the point of um, the idea of giving has to do with more with honor than it does with need. You can tweet that. It's not my notes. The idea of giving in the kingdom of God is more to do with honor than it ever has to do with need. Hello, somebody. And you can sit here this morning and look at all these shoes. And we've even talked about it. Like, how are they all? They're going to have enough shoes till Jesus comes back. But then one of the elders in the meeting this morning, our little elders said, you know what? How powerful is that in our little bitty county, if there's a need in another county, this ministry can even share resources. Hello, somebody. So, giving has nothing to do with need and has everything to do with honor. And the idea of honor is where God comes and flows with power in order to meet need. Because Jesus said, The poor you're going to have with you always. Hello, somebody. So, what he's telling us is that as the body of Christ, there's always going to be need. Somebody say, Amen. Now, I'm going I'm to come from a portion of Scripture today that's very familiar to you. Uh, Moses at the burning bush and all those, that's chapter 3. We'll pick it up here at the top of chapter 4. I, I've put the Scriptures up there for you to go through the whole thing later if you want to. But Moses begins to have this conversation with God, even this kind of argument with God uh, about his lack of ability... To do what God has asked him to do. Verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they'll not believe me or listen to my voice. So God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And now Moses is saying, what if they don't believe me or listen to my voice? Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, verse 2 in chapter 4, what's in your hand? Everybody say, my hand. And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Natural reaction. Hello, somebody. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand. Everybody say your hand. hand. Now you say "My my hand. In your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. And he said, so he put his hand in his bosom again, drew it out in his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed your message for the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, "Oh my Lord, I'm not, I'm not eloquent, neither before or, nor since you have spoken to your servant, I, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue, and, and and some scholars believe maybe Moses had a stuttering problem. I, it does, it's not important because you know God is about to answer that question. God has a way of eliminating excuses. So the Lord said to him, "Who's made your mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord?" Now, therefore, go and I'll be with your mouth, teach you what to say. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So, uh, no, no, God, just send someone. Do it with someone else. Now, pay attention to this. The only time the Lord gets mad at Moses is when Moses asks God to use someone else. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. And now it shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth and I'll teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand. Everybody say, my hand. With you to do these signs. Father, would you bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear. And the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. Everyone said? There's a story I read of a college professor who spent the first 15 minutes of his class every day. For a great while. Trying to argue the point that God didn't exist. And he was... He was adamant to demonstrate it to his students that uh, God does not exist. And so for a few weeks what he did was... he. Stood in front of his students for the first 15 minutes of his class. And he said, I'll demonstrate to you that God is not real. And, and he stood up on a little box in front of the class. And he said, God, if you're real, knock me off this box. And he would stand there for that whole 15 minutes. Look up at heaven. Where are you, God? Why would you not? Why Move if you can. Knock me off this box. Prove that you are real. And after a little while of this happening, one day, he did this again. And as he was standing on top of the box... Looking up to heaven saying, God, if you're real, knock me off this box. The door opened to the classroom and in to the classroom came a 240 pound linebacker from the football team. He ran across the room, tackled the professor, knocked him right off the box onto the floor. The professor is so angry. He gets up. He brushes himself off. He says, why would you do that? And the linebacker said, it looks like God's been busy for a couple of weeks. I decided to help him out. (laughs) God is busy, so he sent me. Hello, somebody. God is doing something, so he sent me. Here we find God saying to Moses, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. He has this amazing experience. In the backside of the wilderness he has this amazing experience with this burning bush. Why a burning bush got Moses' attention in the backside of the wilderness makes no sense to me because it's dry, and no doubt Moses had seen bushes burning before and all those things, but this bush was on fire. It was so dry, it should have burned up immediately. Listen, he he saw this thing burning, and it got his attention. The Bible says he turned aside to see it. I don't get that because, like, in the backside of the desert, if I the thing that's going to get my attention is maybe maybe a a water fountain flowing out of the ground. I'm going to turn around and go see this. But God used a bush and got his attention and he's over there. Now he's having a conversation with a bush. Hello, somebody. And out of this, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to confront Pharaoh. I'm going to send you to deliver Israel from slavery. Now, the question comes to my mind, why Moses? Why send Moses? Why not do it himself? I mean, after all, God spoke. Boom. God said, let there be, and by the power of speaking, come on, everything came into being. And, and, and just so you understand this, God is thinking about you first. You're not second thought, you're first thought. So you got to understand that everything in the created cosmos, God created in order to support life on earth. If one thing, I don't have time to get into the science of it, but if one thing in the cosmos is out of order, one thing, if the sun is not perfect, if the moon is not perfect, if everything is not in order, life on earth could not exist. And so when the next time you think you don't matter, remember you're God's first thought. And you're so important to God that he created the cosmos in perfect order. It's so that you could live. Your first thought, the created cosmos, it's all there. God spoke in order so you and I could live. Why does God need Moses? Pharaoh's nothing to God. If God speaks into nothing and everything exists, Pharaoh is nothing to God. Why does he need Moses? As a matter of fact, Moses' excuses are legit compared to the task God is giving him. What Moses had forgotten though was God's even greater than our most legit excuse. Did God really need him? Was God really busy? God wasn't busy. There's something about sending Moses on this task that speaks to you and me from Foundation Ministry about God's plan for us. I need you to hear this. This is our vision series. There's something about God sending Moses that speaks to you and me individually, that speaks to us as a ministry about God's plans for us. The first thing it's easy to understand and point this out is God doesn't need. We need to realize God doesn't need us. It's true. He owns the cows on a thousand hills. Somebody say amen. He, he has an army of angels in heaven at his dispatch and ready to go. But here is a scripture for you to ponder for a minute in Amos. He who forms the mountains, creates the winds, and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn into darkness and treads the highest places on earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. If God has all of that, if God can do all of that, what need does he have of me? What need does he have of you? What need does he have of Firm Foundation Ministries? What need does he have of Moses? The fact of the matter is, church, God is mindful of us. And when it comes to doing his will, God is graciously allowing us to take part in it. One of the most intriguing promises that I think about a lot when I think about us, when I think about our church, when I... I, I Pray, And when I'm just meditating, sometimes in my office, just sitting and thinking, it's a promise that I believe that Jesus made. And it not only does it come to mind for my, me and my family personally, but for you, but for the church, Jesus in John 14, 12, he said this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do whatever I have been doing. And he will do it even greater than this because I'm going to the Father. If you're a King James person, it says these things in greater shall you do. I think about that a lot when I think about our church, when I think about our ministry. Again, this is our sermon series. This is who we are. It's it's renewing our vision for what God has called us together to do as a ministry. Jesus promised that we would do greater things than he did on earth. Why? Because our time here is longer than his time was. Jesus fed thousands with five loaves and two fish. Come on. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus raised the dead. And Jesus says to you and me, he says to us together, he says to us as a ministry, you think that's something? I got greater things for you. I I want you to receive this today as we think about this. How is that possible? How, how is it possible? You need to consider a couple of stories from the book of Acts. And I, I'm going to move because I know you want to eat and bid on these desserts. Is there German chocolate cake here today? There's two of them. We got to get done. <laughs> I'm going to skip this page and this page and... Acts chapter 8, let me just let me just take you there. Verse 26, here's what we're told. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down into Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, he's setting up the scene. You know this story. Uh, I'll just briefly get you there. Philip does as he told. He goes down to the road and sees a man riding in a chariot. You're familiar with this. And he begins running alongside the chariot. And, and here's this high official from Ethiopia. He hears him reading from uh, the book of isaiah the 53rd chapter as a matter of fact and 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 it's it's really cool as he hears this and he asks the man as he's running aside hey do you understand what you're reading now they're having this conversation that i think is pretty cool uh And the Ethiopian, the Bible doesn't say they've stopped yet. Verse 31, how can I, unless someone explains me. So Philip climbs up into the chariot. Now, does he hop in? I don't know. But maybe you don't read your Bible like I do. But I can see this whole scene. You know, you ever see those cowboys or whatever trying to catch a train? Uh, Yeah, like uh either they're running aside or they're on the horse and they leap over. Anyway, I can see like Philip's like... He's the man. He's like, I got to get in this thing. So he climbs up into the chair. He begins talking the, about Jesus. The conversation turns to how the Ethiopian can become a Christian. And so they're riding along. In the, it, as they, and the reason why I think that the, they keep going along is because initially the conversation about water doesn't come up until they're... The Ethiopian guy looks over at Philip and says, "Look, here is water now. What hinders me from being baptized? It's almost like they have progressed a little ways." Now the chariot stops. Come on. They go over to the water, and Philip baptizes the guy. Now here's the question: Who sent Philip to meet the Ethiopian eunuch? That An angel. An angel came. And sent him. Now why didn't the angel go himself? If the angel can appear to Philip, he can just as well appear to the eunuch. Why did he go to Philip and then send Philip to the eunuch? Why, why not just go himself? Obviously, we've seen in the Scripture many times when angels have gone. An angel came to Joseph at night in a dream about Mary. An angel came to Mary over and over and over again. We see in the Scripture, right, this, this, this idea of angels coming and doing things. Why didn't he just go to the Ethiopian eunuch? Why send Philip? Why didn't the angel do it himself? I want you to hold that question in your spirit for just a minute. Let's go to the next story, Acts chapter 9. This is Saul. If you don't know your Bible well enough, you have to know that Acts chapter 9 is the uh, Saul's experience on the road to Damascus and he, this is a great story. We know he met Paul as Paul at this point and um, Paul's an enemy of the church, right? He hated Christianity, everything Christianity stood for. He, 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 he was powered by uh, the religious council and all those to undermine and hurt those that belong to Christ. And on the way to Damascus, Jesus confronts him. Now, if you've never been confronted by Jesus, hello somebody, it's a life-changing event. This confrontation is so abrupt and it's so powerful that it blinds Paul, Saul at this time, and, and knocks him to the ground. And he hears a voice that says to him, now let me read this to you. Uh, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul answers, who are you? Lord? There's a comma there so that you can pause for a minute. Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? Jesus replies, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Ananias is spoken to and told to teach Saul slash Paul What he needs to know amongst the things Ananias taught Paul was this. uh, Chapter 22, verse 16. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, a couple of questions. Where was Paul when his sins were washed away? Damascus, not the road to Damascus. Second question, why didn't Jesus wash Paul's sins away when he met him on the road to Damascus? Don't, don't let your religious, don't get violated here, trek with me. Because this is what Jesus meant when he said this, greater things will you do than i have done Philip in baptizing the ethiopian and ananias in baptizing paul were given the honor of freeing others from their chains they were given the privilege of being the agents of god of salvation to those around them they were given the privilege to be the agents of salvation Come on, they were given the honor of being the agents of salvation, not the author of salvation, just so somebody doesn't walk away from here with your theology whacked. Jesus saves, not the church, not the preacher, not the ministry. But the church and the ministry are agents of salvation. Hello, somebody. We are agents. In in each occasion, Jesus or the angel could have led these people to salvation. But in both cases, it was mortal Christian, mortal men and women who were given that honor. It's not that the angel or Jesus couldn't have directly done it. The fact is, God has given us a privilege reserved for you and I. The opportunity to make a difference in the world that we live in. I want to say to us as a ministry, and I know you hear it, but you need to hear it during this sermon series, in particular on this day when I want to talk to you specifically about giving. This is Firm Foundation Ministries' greatest privilege. Think about the blessing God has reserved for this church. I, I'm telling you, I, I do get the opportunity now to preach to other churches, and I enjoy taking what a God has planted into our eldership team and sharing with other ministries and those type of things. but then I'm not preaching to the church down the road today. I'm preaching to this church. And I want you to personally think about the privilege God has given us as a ministry. I want you to think about this that that there was it wasn't that long ago, amen, when people literally thought that this ministry would close its doors. It wasn't that long ago when a group of leaders in my life gave me that mandate. Go to Centerville, take care of what's left of that church until we figure out how to close the doors. How many of you glad they were wrong? They were wrong not because they were evil men. They were wrong because they didn't understand that God has reserved privilege for this ministry. And I look out on this congregation each week that I preach. Every time I go through the attendance sheet. And I think about all the people who would not be walking with the Lord today if that had been the case. I think about all the personal relationships that I have personally in my life. Friends who have impacted me in a powerful way that I would not have in my life if that had been the case. But that was not the case then. It is not the case now, nor will it be the case in the future because God has reserved privilege for this ministry. You hear me well? God doesn't need us, He wants us. That stirs my soul, that stirs my spirit. He wants us to be a partner, to be a co-laborer with him in what he's doing on planet Earth. Moses had the privilege of leading people out of slavery. Moses had the privilege of leading people out of the dark into the goodness and the light of God. It was a high honor, and we have been given that same privilege. Now listen to me. I know there are times when I get up here and... You know, like uh, this week, I had such a great blessing, not only because, you know, thinking about doing some things with my dad and just those things, uh, I think it was, it's okay, Laura, Laura Stucky sent me something, and it was just perfect timing. It was so good. It just hit my spirit right away, and it was so good, and, and I sent it back, and I said, you have no idea how much I needed that today as I, I, I'm thinking about the sermon. I got to get up and preach on giving. I'd rather be beat with a stick. I would. It's not my favorite thing to preach on. But it was so good because it was so encouraging because it reminded me. And I told Laura, I said, you have no idea because sometimes I think I get up or I share what I feel like God shows me or the eldership team. And people think we're whacked, man. People think we're crazy. You guys just relax. How many times I've heard that? You need to chill. To Freak people out with what I see. But see, I I see the privilege. I see the honor. I see the glory of God wrapped up in partnership, just like Moses, right? We don't feel like we're up to the job. There was a time in our ministry where we could have not ever thought that, hey, we have a ministry team coming home from another nation today. Do you understand that? Today they're traveling home. Pray for them, Lord. Traveling mercies today for our team. And in less than two weeks, another team is going. We would have never contemplated the privilege of going to the nations. And even back then, or even when God shows me sometimes in this eldership team the things, the visions, the privilege that He has for us, the things He's calling us into, my first thought oftentimes is, I'm going to mess that up. Lord, I know what Moses was thinking. Don't beat up Moses, He wants God's people delivered. He's not saying they're not worthy to be delivered. He's saying, God, I I want them delivered so bad, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. Find somebody who's not going to mess it up. Let me tell you, you want me to go speak to Pharaoh, I'm going to mess that up. I can't even talk straight. That's Moses' cry. He's saying, I don't want to mess it up. It's so important. It's such a great privilege. A, you know, freedom and, and deliverance and salvation. God, I don't want to mess it up. I, I don't want to mess it up. The only thing Moses did that made God mad was turn God down. Come on, church. What if the conversation had been, okay, I'm ready to go. I can't really talk straight, God, but I know you'll help me. Let's go. No, I I don't want to mess it up. And so oftentimes, because we don't want to mess something up, we don't engage. That makes the Lord angry. Come on, church. God says, I'll help you. I'll speak through you, and I'll teach you what to say. And Moses simply says, send someone else. The Lord's anger, verse 14, burned against Moses. Listen, you want to make God mad? Turn him down. I'm a grace guy. You, You want to make God mad? Turning God down does not seem like a good career move to me. Besides, think of all the adventure and excitement you'd miss. Think about the honor you would miss. Think about what Moses would have missed if he had walked away from the commission of God. To this day, to this day, you and I, when we talk about Moses, think about what we talk about. He is so highly revered, not only in Christianity, but in Judaism. Moses. Moses. His name is mentioned as many times in the scripture as Jesus' name is mentioned. Moses was famous for God. You cannot talk about Moses without talking about God. I don't care who you are, even if you're not religious. You cannot talk about Moses without talking about God. Come on, church. Moses is famous for God. I told you a few weeks ago that I felt like God spoke to my spirit and said it's time for Firm Foundation Ministries to be famous for the gospel. I I believe it. God didn't just send Moses on this task. He gave Moses some tools to help him get the job done. And what, what we're going to do is it's going to look like in reverse. Let me show you. I'm going to start at the bottom of those tools and work up, right? So here's the, here's the first tool God gave him, right? Is, is, is oh, Grab this. Fear told him he couldn't do what God asked him to do. He said, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Now, I believe there are a lot of people here this morning who struggle with fear. Especially when Pastor Don starts talking about tithing and giving. We, we use this term all the time in the scripture, tithes and offerings. And some people say, well, I can't tithe, so I'll just give an offering. No, your, your doctrine is wrong. You can't give an offering. Offering is above tithe. And blessing comes on the offering. So if, if you're not at a tithe, you're still falling short. All right, we'll get there. I lost some of you right there. They're ready to go. Sorry about the dessert auction, carpenters. They're ready to go. You're struggling with fear. That fear just shows me that many of us are not at all different than Moses. Moses was the greatest man that ever walked. But he was afraid. He was afraid to share what God wanted him to say. But God gave something to Moses to help him overcome his fear, He gave him a helper. He says to him, "I don't have time to read it to you." He says to him, "I'm going I got Aaron. You know your brother Aaron? Yeah, I know him. He's pretty good. He, he's, he can speak pretty good. Yeah, I'm gonna get. He's yours." He sent Moses' brother Aaron to speak for him. Let me tell you something, church. I want you to just receive this in your spirit with everything you can right now. God gave us each other. God gave us each other. We belong to one another. Hello, church. I said, hello, church. We belong to one another. We belong. God gave us each other. Do you know why there's over 2,000 shoes at the altar representing 4,000 souls? Because together, God gave us each other. Come on. When we're afraid, when we don't want to do, we have each other. That's what you have to underdo. You have a whole bunch of Christians and brothers right here, right now, in this place. That's why I think belonging to a family of faith is important. It's much more important than being a church member. People ask me all the time, Pastor Don, how do you become a member of Firm Foundation Ministries? And they look at me like a calf looking at a new gate when I say we don't have a membership. What do it mean you don't have a membership? You are more valuable than a name on a piece of paper. Besides that, if you're going to sign a membership, I'm going to require you to give me your W-2 at the end of the year so I can make sure that you paid your dues. (laughs) My membership at Dave's Hardcore Gym is a certain amount. And Big Dave loves me. Well, some days. Well, if I don't pay my membership, he takes my key. And rightly so. See, you're more important than a membership, but that does not remove you from responsibility. My dad used to tell me that in a family you have benefits, and because you have benefits, you also have responsibility. If you're going to be a part of this family, you're going to carry both sides of the load. And I didn't want to go hoe the garden, or I didn't want to go, Amen. take care of the horses. He was like, you have a benefit. You like riding those horses? Yes, sir, I do like riding those horses. He said, then great, your job is to feed them. Why don't my brother and sister have to feed them? Because I said that was your job. But they get to ride the horses. Doesn't matter. That's your responsibility. So at 5.30, I'd get up and I'd go out and water and feed the horses. When I got out of school at 3 o'clock, I would ride the bus home. I would go and water and hay the horses. I would get on my bicycle and ride it back to the school so I could participate in basketball practice. Why? Because that was my responsibility. My brother, he could have fed the horses for me in the afternoon. He was home. He didn't play basketball. But no. Sorry about your luck. Dad said, you're going to do that. I would have punched him in the face, but he was bigger than me. So, that didn't work. You are bigger. Your benefits are bigger than membership. And your responsibilities to each other are bigger than membership. If God has spoken to you and called you to this ministry, we believe in the benefits of the ministry. And we also believe in the responsibility of the ministry. Hello, somebody. Wait, well, here we go. I'm getting there. God has given us each other. So the next time you get mad with one another, sorry about your luck. God gave you that person that you're mad at. Take it up with him. you got a whole bunch of Christians and brothers. You have elders and all kind of godly women and men who would be your Aaron in the time of need. God has joined us like he joined Moses and Aaron. The second tool God gave Moses was the opportunity to have some skin in the game. Come on. Put your hand, put, put your hand in, in your cloak. So Moses put a hand in his cloak, and he said, take it out. Now it's full of leper. It's, it's leprous. It's, it's, it's your sickness. And he said, now put it back in your cloak. When you take it out, it was restored. Amen. You got skin in the game. Now, when I first read this, I wonder, what does this have to do with the church? And the phrase came to my mind, skin in the game, skin in the game, skin in the game, right? To have a personal stake or an investment in focusing on Moses. See, you all don't have a problem with requiring Pastor Don to have so much invested in firm foundation ministries that I I can't go back. Hello, church. Because you're the preacher. You You should be invested. Listen, we should all be invested. We should all be invested. Here's the deal. Skin in the game. In focusing on Moses' hand, God was getting his attention about investment. To have skin in the game means you're committed to success. Because you've shown that by investing in something valuable, personal responsibility is important. So when it comes to the church, how do you know if you have skin in the game? I'm glad you asked. Three things time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure, right? How much time have you invested with God this week? How much time have you invested with God this week? Some folks say, well, I show up for church two hours because you preach an hour and 15 minute sermon. That's nice, but I hardly call that investing. That's like dabbling. Most people show up five minutes before church starts, you're out the door five minutes after live. You have no idea what it takes to make a Sunday morning happen, much less what it takes to make the rest of the week happen. Do you realize that right now, I have to do all my sermon prep at home, because the church offices are so busy during the week that it's impossible for me to sermon prep at the church. It's impossible. Because there's business, there's stuff going on, all these things. Some folks would say, well, I show up for church. Listen, no, really have skin in the game when it comes to the amount of time you spend with God each week. What you've got to do better than that, I don't know. We're talking about how much time you spend, like, talking to other people, sharing your faith. How much time you spend reading your Bible. How much time you spend praying with the Lord. How much time those things, those are very important. Then there's the topic of how much talent you have. I personally love our worship team. Hello? But if they don't practice, come on church. They have to use their talents for the Lord. I love our usher team. Do you realize that there are some guys who get here around 7.30 on Sunday mornings to make sure sidewalks are shoveled? Some guys have showed up before sunrise to make sure the parking lots salted or plowed. There are, there are people who stay here afterwards just to lock the door. It's, it's incredible what happens. All these people are giving. You know, they're saying, this is my job. This is what I get to do. What talent do you have? Maybe you can't play a guitar. You guys don't want me playing a guitar. I don't. I mean, all this faith comes from one of my elders. No, Don, we don't want you playing the guitar. That's all right. We'll take care of it. That's not my talent. Last but not least, and I need to move on here, but there's the matter of the treasure you have. In particular today, I'm going to talk to you about the idea of tithing, a dime on a dollar. Now, each week, uh, well, I shouldn't, say that. I shouldn't say each week. My wife and I get paid once a month, so our tithe goes in once a month and those type of things. But we give through the app. Now, why do we do that? Now, let me say this. Because I usually don't carry that much kind of cash around with me anywhere, and if I've got twenty or thirty dollars in my wallet at any given time, I really get nervous anymore. What's all this money doing in here? And my wife will give me blow money and in the middle of the week or a month. I'll be like, "Hey, is there any more money?" She's like, "What happened to all your blow money?" I was like, "I gave it away." She's like, "Why'd you give it away?" Somebody needs some money, so I just gave. It. I don't know. Like you can't trust me with it. And then, you know, if I've got money in my pocket, there's the issue of Yoder's Donuts right across the street, which is not my fault. If I were to lose my wallet, right, I'd be pretty upset. So here's what I, here's what I, my wife and I are planned givers. You Dave Ramsey people will enjoy this. Let me illustrate the difference between a planned giver and a wallet giver. Here's the illustration. Wallet givers do it like this, right? They they take out their wallet, and uh, I don't have my wallet on me today. See? I don't. And the plate comes around, and they're like, Well, I got $18 in my wallet, so I'll give five. That's not a planned giver. A planned giver says, this is what my budget is set up with. This is how much God has blessed me with. And I'm going to have faith for a dime on a dollar in my life. Every dollar God brings into my life, 10 cents of it goes to God. I'm planning that. Hello, somebody. I'm planning that. Let me have that microphone, sweetheart. I'm sorry, you got a baby in your hand. Hey, Josh, where'd that thing come from? (laughs) Put it back. It's contagious. Oh, wait, that's one of ours. That's our grandkid. I'm sorry. Keep, you can keep that one then. Come here, Merle. Come here quickly. I need, I, need, I need you to come here, Merle. Tell me what you told me last week. Merle and I had this conversation, and I was like, man, just pray for me because i got to preach on giving, and I'd rather be beat with a stick. And he said, don't say that ever again. Let me tell you a story real quickly. Hurry up.
1: Hurry up. Tithing. I've said it multiple times. I tithe no matter what's going on in my life. If I'm off for a week, if I'm off two weeks, I tithe as if I had worked. That's one thing I do. The other thing is, it's just to stay faithful in giving beyond tithing. And this past summer, uh, some things happened in my work, and I lost some of my run that I do. I I drive truck. I have a trucking company. God seemed fit to pull a run from me. It frustrated me a little bit. I got a little nervous because it's less money. One, I did not change my tithe because of that. Kept it going And say, okay, God, you know, things come, things change, whatever. Kept listening, God, what's next? If you took this from me, is something else going to fill the void? Pretty soon it did. And I had conversation with the people I was working for. So what I lost, I got back at four times the rate that I had been charging them for. So now I'm blessed. I hired another guy and bought another truck with cash, and expanding my business. So now I'm making more money, and the guy driving the truck's making really good money, too. So if you don't tithe, double dog dare you to do it. That's
0: great. Why is that story so important? Because he's a planned giver. And it's a promise God said in the book of Malachi, if you're Italian, Malachi, I don't think there's any Italians in here. Uh, Where it's the only promise in all of the scripture where God says, test me. Test me. The giving, planned giving. This is where we're at. Now, see, my planned giving doesn't limit me. It's the ground floor. If God blesses me more, guess what I get to do? Come on, church, guess what I get to do? Now, I've always been this planned giver in my life, especially when Art Good came and said to us, he taught us the idea of tithing and what that meant. I've always planned out ahead of time of what God's going to receive from me. And, and as a preacher, maybe you probably expect that from me. You expect me to get up here every Sunday and have a sermon ready for you. What if we showed up one Sunday and I got up and said, sorry, y'all, I didn't have time this week. And you might not know, but there's plenty of times. When I didn't have time. And because I didn't have time, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. It's 3 o'clock in the morning when I've got to get up and say this is the only time I've got. You expect that. Here's why that's not a burden. Because i got skin in the game. Here's why tithing isn't a burden. Because I'm invested in the kingdom of God. I have really... Committed myself to the total success of what God has called us to do, and those things. Plus, it is the hand of protection on my life from the Lord. Remember what God asked Moses: What do you have in your hand? What do he have? He had a staff. That's a dumb question. He's a shepherd. What's he going to have in his hand? A stick. there's more than just a stick in his hand. That staff is a symbol of everything Moses was and everything Moses owned. Let me prove it to you. The staff represented the totality of Moses' wealth. He may not have had much, but the staff represented everything he did have. At one time, Moses had been a prince in Egypt. A lot of scholars believe that Moses might have been the architect Of Egypt. Wait. He couldn't speak. Doesn't mean he wasn't a smart man. Most people believe he could have been the architect of Israel. I mean of Egypt. Buildings. And all those things. The things today we look back on Egypt and go. Man we don't even know how they built it. Some scholars are saying. Moses was the engineer. I can't prove that to you. I'm just saying. What if Moses had been the engineer of the great pyramids? Don't, don't. If they can't tell you how they built them, you're gonna trust them on how long they've been there? Okay. Moses had been a prince in Egypt with power, prestige, and palaces. Now he's a shepherd living in the middle of a desert in a tent that's moving everywhere he has to go he's got to find a pasture he's got to find areas for these sheep to eat and guess what the sheep don't even belong to him the only thing that belongs to Moses is a stick in his hand that's what God didn't ask him how many sheep do you have how big's your house what kind of job do you have what kind of influence do you have? Where did you come from? God didn't say any of those things. God said, "Moses, what do you have in your hand? God, you know it's the only thing I own. A stick. Listen, you in a bad shape when the only thing you have is a stick. What's in your hand, Moses? A stick. What's in your hand, Moses? The thing that represents me, the thing that represents everything I have. I don't even have these sheep, they belong to my father in law. Moses had little that was really his own except a stick. So God said, Give it to me. As long as the staff belonged to Moses, it was just a stick. But Moses gave it to God, and God used it to shake an empire. Y'all yeah, not getting it. What do you have in your hand? I got a dollar bill. God's saying, "Oh, I need is 10 pennies of that, and I'll shake the earth. Y'all yeah. not listening to me. I got a dollar bill, and all God wants is 10 pennies to use Firm Foundation Ministries to shake the earth. Think about this. It's just a stick... But it was with that stick that he struck the Nile and turned it to blood. It was with that stick that he stretched it out over the waters of Egypt and brought a plague of frogs. Amen. It was with that stick that the dust of the earth came up and rose into a plague of gnats. It was with that stick that he stretched towards heaven and fire and thunder and hail came down. It was with that stick that he waved in the air and a horde of locusts invaded the earth. He stretched that stick out over the Red Sea and the water parted in front of Israel and the dry ground became dry. He struck a rock with that stick and water poured forth to quench the thirst of God's people and when he held it high in the air Israel could not be defeated by its enemies you think your ten cent don't matter I feel like preaching you think your tithe isn't a big deal I challenge any person in this room or listening to this thing, you you tithe for one year. You commit to it for one year, and at the end of that year, you come back and tell me that your life is worse than it was when you started. I've been issuing that challenge for 16 years now, and not one soul has ever returned to me. But those stories come all the time. All the time. (laughs) Miss Amy, won't you come play for me? Once the stick was given to God, there was power. The nature of the wood itself changed. Throw it down on the ground, Moses. Boom, it's a snake. Come on. See, you two worried about the fact that you don't think your tithe matters. But the nature of what you commit to the Lord changes. I am unafraid to ask you to have skin in the game in this ministry. You know why? Because I believe it's a good ministry. The difference in the staff before God asked what was in his hand and the staff after Moses gave it to God was that now the staff belonged to God and not to Moses. Now Moses was completely bankrupt for God. He, he didn't have a little bit of skin in the game. Everything he had was in the game. Lord I had a stick and you want that too and God used the stick to shake the earth come on church stand with me and I want to tell you a story we're going, to, we're going to close we're going to pray for our fellowship meal we're going to give to these kids I want you to brace yourself because you're not ready for this story There's a man by the name of Charles who had a dream. He had a dream of becoming a missionary. And all his life he had trained for the mission field. And he fell in love and married a woman who had the same vision. Now, this is for you young people. I'm just telling you right now. If the person you're thinking about attaching yourself to doesn't have a vision from God that you have from God, it's probably not a joining of a Lord. I'm just going to deposit that. I love Breno. He won't mind. Even if he does, it doesn't matter. He had this young lady that he has his eye on and we had talked about it, distraction, and uh, we were praying over this thing, and I think it really broke Breno's heart pray for him, but he had hopes that this was of the Lord, but Breno happened to see a picture of this young lady out in the club, dressed like she ought not be dressed, partying, and Brenna was like, negative, that's not my path, and I was like, dude, you inspire me so much. And I told him in that day, I said, God has your wife. She's coming, brother. She's coming. And when she shows up, she's she going to blow your socks off, man. You just stay faithful. Charles had, had a dream, and his he married a woman who had the same vision. And together, they saved up enough money to be able to go on the mission field. But then, as soon as they were about to leave, his wife's health failed and it was so bad that they realized that if she went on the mission field she wouldn't survive and their plan was to go to Africa and uh, going to Africa certainly she would die so he's confused he's a little disillusioned and his dream of being a missionary for the Lord was never going to come true so he resigned himself to go to work for his father his father was a dentist and so he uh, went into dentistry with his father, but they had this little side business, and as his father grew older and older, uh, Charles decided, you know what, I think I'm just going to go full time and take over the side business. And one day it struck him that um, he could still touch the world for Christ. He'd work hard, he'd be a good steward of the resources that God had given him, and um, And then he would touch the world in a different way. He would keep his promise to the Lord by financially supporting those who could go to overseas missions. And he he worked hard and eventually he built a company into a huge enterprise. Just a little side business. I I didn't tell you what his side business was, did I? I I never told you what his last name was, did I? His last name was Welch and chances are you have drank his grape juice. Charles Welch built a business called Welch's grape juice and used the finances to fund missionaries the next time you buy grape juice hello somebody don't buy the generic brand buy Welch's And the extra money that you're spending, guess where it's going? Come on, church. In a world that sucks us dry of our finances for stupid stuff, I'm drinking Welch's grape juice. Ironically, listen to this. Charles Welch did far more for world evangelism than he could have ever done by being a single missionary himself. All because he took what God placed in his hand. And he gave, what do you have in your hand? I am unapologetic and so is this eldership team by asking you to have some skin in the game in this ministry. Invest yourself. Take the tithe, child. Watch what God will do with our little bitty church. Watch what God will do. We promise you, and you know this to be true, we will be good stewards of every penny that comes in. You will know where every penny goes. Hello, somebody. And we promise you that it will be invested in the kingdom. We promise that. That's why the Easter offering is so important. That's above the tithe. Hello, somebody. Right? That's why giving to the youth group is above the tithe. That's why every dollar in your hand counts. What can you use to further the kingdom of God? You can use your tithe. There isn't anything you can give to God until you first give Him yourself. Hello, somebody. And this is our challenge to you as an eldership team. Giving is purposeful. And our challenge to you is be a plan to giver. Amen? And I I promise you, Merle's not the only one who's going to have his stories. Amen? I, I remember talking to Joe about Tanya. And Joe saying, I'm putting money in the offering and that's my seed for my wife. Come on. You think it's crazy. Hey, every one of these shoes, each soul represents a soul. Maybe that is crazy, but I'm crazy for Jesus. And I believe God can do what he said he can do. I want to challenge you to be a giver. Amen? A planned giver. If you are struggling with how to work your finances in order to make that happen, the, the, the church has spent a lot of money in sending people and training people to be good financial counselors. Make an appointment with one of those ELPs who are licensed financial people, and they can sit you down, and their first thing's gonna be we gotta honor God in what we're doing. And I guarantee you, you're never gonna lack. It's a family benefit. How many of you know that there are times when the eldership stands up and says, Hey, there's a family in need. We're going to take up an offering in a couple of weeks. And people respond. That's a family benefit. That can not happen without resources. God has given us each other and he's given us resources together. Our, our encouragement to you is to pray about being a planned giver. So that <laughs> this is nothing to God this is nothing to God you know the back to school backpacks have you enjoyed seeing people getting blessed That is Justin Rarick's ministry but Justin's not going to do it anymore because he's not selling real estate so I asked him last week do you mind if Firm Foundation Ministries picks that up he said absolutely not tell me what I can do to help hey in the fall y'all want to give away back to school backpacks come on in the community to impact the community yeah it's easy it's easy Watch what God will do. Now, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. This morning, I thank you, Lord, that we're not beggars. And that our heart in this message has nothing to do with condemnation. Lord, we celebrate the goodness you have given. Look at what you have done with with the little that we have. And it encourages our heart to know that God... The more we invest, the more you get the glory. God, what is in our hand? Father, this is it. It's a dime on a dollar. Our ten pennies on every dollar, God. Use it for your glory and for your honor. Save souls. Heal the sick. Deliver the captives. Go to the nations. Plant churches. Watch the kingdom of God invade planet Earth. For your glory and your honor. I pray this challenge sets well in everybody's spirit. And that, God, you start to stir among us, God the idea of what it means to be a giver, a planned giver. Help us to receive it with the goodness of the Lord. Today, Lord, we're going to have a fellowship meal and celebrate our youth group. Thank you for kids who are on fire for Jesus, who are unapologetic about their faith, and who love living out loud for you, Lord. Today, God, we want to bless them as we have this dessert auction, God. Help us, God, to be faithful in that. We pray your blessings over our fellowship. And over this little dessert auction in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. All right, quickly here. Uh, Ladies, uh, pick up your purses. Men, if you have purses on this side, pick pick them up on this side. If you can help stack chairs into stacks of five, that would be great.